Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Acts. Acts. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here today. We're blessed to have you. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that God has a vision for you. God has a vision for your life. And we're going to look at a few instances in Paul's life where he had a vision. Four different places in his life experience, especially, this is all found in the book of Acts, where Paul had a vision. And we're going to glean some truths from that for ourselves. As you all know that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. But here first in Acts chapter 9, we're going to go to him, his former life, Saul of Tarsus, the man who was breathing out fire and threats. So this says, oh, that's what it says. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that is, those who believed the gospel, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Father, thank you for this time together. Now with all of these wonderful people and their families that they represent. Father, I thank you now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be upon all those who hear the word now. Whether they're sitting here or they're listening by podcast, Father, I thank you for your blessing upon all of them. That the word will do what it does. That it will penetrate our hearts, Lord. It will, that seed will take root, God. Because your word is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. And we want all of it and all of its benefits that it brings. Thank you right now for this moment where we meet with you. Thank you for this moment that you're speaking to us, God. Speaking those words of life. Speaking wisdom to us, God. Speaking instruction, correction, and encouragement. Lord, whatever it is that will help us come up, we thank you that your word will do it for us. So we welcome it now. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to learn today from these four visions that Paul experienced is, number one, God has a vision for you for a new beginning. God has a vision for you for a new beginning. Number two, God has a vision in this world of the need for you and your gifts. God has a vision in this world of the need for you and your gifts. Number three, God has a vision for you to connect and to be planted. God has a vision for you to connect and to be planted. And number four, God has a vision for your preservation and well-being. God has a vision for your preservation and well-being. And from what we see here in this first experience, this first vision that Paul saw, which was an incredible experience. And later on in Acts chapter 26... In verse 19, Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and he's giving this story that we just read to King Agrippa, giving this account 
about his conversion. And he says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Paul called his conversion experience a vision from God. So that you can understand that visions from God are very real things. They're not just figments of our imagination. All right, They are him coming to us, revealing something to us. And God has done that many times in my life. And our ministry has been directed uh, much through prophecies and dreams and visions. Matter of fact, our Granbury campus is a product of uh, dreams and, and prophecies. And uh, we have some folks from Granbury campus. Where are they at? There we are. Got some extended family right here with us today. God bless you. We're glad you're here today. God has a vision for you for a new beginning. And uh, this first vision that he had was about his new beginning. Jesus came to Saul of Tarsus to give him a new start. Now, Saul um, was way, way, way against people like us, way against the church, way against this message, this gospel that he would later defend with his entire life. But at this time, he didn't like this gospel because this gospel sound, sounded too good to be true. You know what I'm talking about? Sounds too good to be true. The gospel sounds too good to be true, and that's partly true. It is too good, and yet it's still very true. And that gospel is Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, he rose again from the dead. That's it. That's the gospel. And it's all Christ, Christ, Christ. And and the scripture says that we believe that gospel and we are saved. We are a new creation in Christ. So that is very simple, very easy. Now for this hardcore Jew, that rubbed against everything that he knew to be true. And it went against the, the, no, 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 that's our, our existence. What he's thinking is about our performance. It's about keeping the law. It's about keeping the rules. As a matter of fact, he said concerning the law, he later on taught in Philippians, he said concerning the law, I was blameless. I was a zealot of zealots. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I sat at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel, which means he was, he was telling us the kind of education he had. He was highly educated, had the best kind of education. And he said, but I was above all my peers in that way. Nobody labored as hard in this as I did. And here he is. And what is his cause? His cause is for God. His cause is a righteous cause. At least he thinks it is. This is all for God. And these people are coming in with this way and they're perverting our Judaism and they're trying to get us off of this. And so he's doing everything he can to imprison them, to kill them, get them out of the way. And so God meets him here. And imagine what this was like for this this fiery Jew who, who believes he's on a mission from God only to hear God tell him, this is not a mission from me. You're not fighting for me, Saul. You're fighting against me. Because the reality today is that it is impossible to be pro-God and anti-Christ. You have to be pro-God and you have to be pro-Christ because he's all about his son. And there are lots of, I mean, if, if, you, if we were to compare Saul of Tarsus to anybody today, he would be somewhere along the lines of Osama bin Laden. I mean, he was a terror to the church. He really was. And he thought his cause was just and good. But he found out otherwise. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul said, who are you, Lord? 
Who are you, Lord? He knew that he was speaking to the Lord, but he also had to admit that he didn't know who the Lord was. But Jesus came to give him a new beginning at that moment. To go from Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, to the Gentiles. Every sunrise, every sunrise is a vision from God for a new beginning. Every day. Every new year is a vision from God for a new beginning. Every springtime, when new growth is happening, it's a vision from God for a new beginning. I love that. Um, in, in 2005, Heather and I went to um, Papua New Guinea for a couple of weeks to build a church out there. And we, took, we were youth pastors at our church at the time, and we took two teenagers with us. I don't recommend that, but that's what we did. We took a, a, a boy and a girl, and uh, we went over there, and we're out, on the, out in the bush for a couple of weeks there, and we're building a church for these sweet, sweet people who basically their existence is get up and survive. And uh, there's a lot of things about their lives that, that really struck me and helped me remember the really important things you know, the simplicity of it and what really is important in life. And none of them care about how many likes they have on Instagram. As a matter of fact, they don't even have that. They don't have electricity. They don't have running water there. And uh, so there are a lot of things that they don't have, but somehow they survive. Somehow they make it without the internet. My kids didn't think they were going to make it. When we got on that ship and I told them, we don't have internet. What? We can't be on our phones? No, <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. Anyway, um, so we were there and we were building this church. It was really awesome to see um, how the people lived and how much they loved us and just welcomed us into their world and, and how many of them, most of them had never seen white people, so that was a shock for them. Uh, but they embraced us with open arms and to hear those little kids sing those worship songs, it was just a marvelous experience. But, and once we got the church uh, done, then, then um, they... They took us out and treated us, and they took us on a boat out to this island. Lots of islands all out there in that area, and they took us to an island that was not inhabited. And so our team had the entire island to ourselves, and we just had a great day on the beach there, had a marvelous time. And, um, but then this past week, when me and my family were out in the Bahamas, we were on a beach out there, which was a lot different as, as far as population goes, because it was full of people, tourists from all over the world from cruise ships, from airplanes, even the, the, the people who lived there in the Bahamas were there. I mean, all as far as you can see down that beach, there were people. And it was just teeming with activity and uh, all kinds of stuff. So my son Dylan and I were standing about, I don't know, maybe shin deep in the, in the um, water on the shore, just looking out over the water and just talking about the colors of the water and things like that. And as I'm standing there, I remember this experience in New Guinea. And that water would come up on the shore and and wash back. And, and even though these two experiences were very contrasting as far as the population goes, yet there was one thing that was very similar, and that is that tide would come in, and when it would, when it would recede, the beach looked brand new again. All of the, the footprints that were there, people writing, I love you, or marry me in the sand, or whatever they were doing, little, little castles, all of those things that were there by people in just one moment were completely washed away. It was like every few seconds there was renewal on that beach. And it was no problem, no effort at all for that water to come in and just, listen, the moment that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says that you became a new creation. 
It also goes on to say that though your outward man is perishing, yet something else is happening on the inside of you. Your new man, your inner man is being renewed day by day by day. See, God gave you a whole new beginning when you became born again. That new creation realization. But he didn't just give you that one moment because he knew that you were going to have to walk by faith every day of this life and you were going to need a new beginning Time and time again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you need a new beginning today in some area of your life? I mean, we all do at some point or another, but I'm here to give you some good news today that maybe if you feel stuck in, in a rut of the same old thing, be encouraged today because the God who never changes is still doing new things in the earth today. He says, behold, I do a new thing. God has a vision for you to have a new beginning And he invites you to experience it by looking not at the things which you can see, because those things are temporary. The great thing about your trouble, the great weakness with your trouble and your trial right now is that it is temporary. But the word of God is eternal. So you can always have hope that something new is coming. The old things are gone and the new things have come. Can I get a good amen? Something wonderful about the love and grace of God, that when you put your faith in him, that love comes in. The scripture says his perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is no, no force against the power of God's love. It's like it was never even there by the time his love takes care of you. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, as if it never even existed. Acts chapter 16, let's go over there. Now we're going to see the second vision that Paul had, second experience. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, or what you would, we would call Troy, and a vision appeared, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Um, let's, do we have one more verse on there or not? No, that's it. Okay. Then we'll leave it at that. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So what happened, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He's already gone on one route all throughout Asia and and got some churches established and even strengthened some churches. And so he was going to go back through there again. So he thought to go visit those places. And, but every time he'd come to a city that they had established a church, the, the spirit would tell him, no, don't no, this is not, don't stop here, keep going. So finally, I mean, they're going around and around, and I've shown you guys on, on, on the map before what that track looked like. He was really trying to stay in Asia, but he ended up down in Troas, um, the, the western part of Asia there on the coastal town of Troas or Troy, and then he saw that vision. That man of Macedonia, that's when they crossed over and went over into uh, Macedonia to Philippi, to Corinth, and all those places. But God has a vision in this world of the need for you and your gifts. This man said, come over and help us. You know, those in your life right now, they may not even know that you are what they want, but you are certainly what they need. When I was a kid, I didn't know that I needed to sleep. I didn't know that I had to sleep, especially taking naps. Y'all remember that as kids? Or how many of you have small kids? And you find that it might be a chore once in a while to put them down for a nap. 
Because when that, you know, when the sun's up, no kid wants to be in bed. And at nighttime, they'll even fight you from time to time. My kids really never really fought us on. Maddie, she'd sleep. She'll fall asleep right now if you let her. She'd lay right down there and she'd sleep all afternoon. <laughs> she slept from night one. Slept the first night, eight hours through. Been sleeping ever since. Never had any problem getting her to sleep, ever. <laughs> but kids fight, I, I would fight that. But I didn't know that I needed that until my mother, but my mother knew better than I. I didn't know that I needed to eat spinach. <laughs> my mother knew. There are things that now, actually, at this time of my life, a nap sounds really good. Can I get a witness in this house today? A nap sounds real, especially Sunday afternoon nap. Oh, man, put on some football. As I told my friend Jerry, who's a Chicago Bears fan, I'm so sorry what the Broncos did to your Bears the other day. Yeah, preseason, still a loss. But it's still, just... <laughs> 22-0, was it? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll stop. You're next, Jason Voss. You and your San Diego Chargers. All right. The reason that God need, wants you to be strong in this world is because the world needs you. He needs the gifts in your life. And every one of you here today are gifted by God. Everyone. God didn't leave any of you out. He put a purpose in you, in that gift for this world. And said, I need you now and I need what's in you in this world. You have the gifts that this world needs. You have something in you right now in this place that nobody else in this church has. Your family and your friends, your community, your church family, they need this from you. Uh, they need the gifts that were put in you by Almighty God. How is it that God puts us all, makes us all one in one sense? We're all human, but he also can make us all so unique and individual it's a marvelous thing. Only God can do something like that. I want you to notice something about Paul here. It says that he was in Troas. Paul did not get this vision at his home. Not in his hometown of Tarsus. He was raised there until he was 12 or 13 years old and then was moved to Jerusalem um, to undergo his education under Gamaliel and on into Judaism. But he, and he didn't get the vision in Jerusalem either. Paul got this vision not at home, he got this vision on the road. And there are many times in your life, in order for you to be where you're supposed to be, that you need to get to moving and doing something. And it might be something that you don't necessarily feel called to do. Amen. My first experience in full-time ministry, once I graduated Bible school, I was under the opinion, as I have found with many Christ for the Nations and Bible school students, who once they get their education, they feel like, Anybody at any time is going to hire me and want me. And they need me. They need what I've got. And such as were my thoughts. Because uh, my dad was pastoring a church, and I thought it was a, I was an easy shoe-in to get a full-time job there. The job I got for the church was cleaning the Christian school and the church. The janitor of the, my full-time ministry was janitorial ministry. And then my dad started telling me I needed to do other things there, stuff I didn't feel called to do. One was teach a Sunday school class, which I didn't know the first thing about that, really. I just 
I don't feel called. I didn't ever tell my dad things like that. I don't feel called to do that. Oh, really? Okay. I don't feel... No, never mind. Okay. Just leave it there. Needless to say, I did everything he told me to do. So, um, but you know what I found out? I found out in just doing those things that eventually I got to where I knew I was supposed to be, what I was really called to do. And you're going to, even if you don't feel called to, well, I don't really feel, I don't, I don't know, I don't really feel called to kids' ministry. Well, how do you know? Have you ever tried it? You ever tried? Maybe just try it. Just get busy doing something. And I believe that you're going to see something greater realized inside of you. Paul was on the move. He was moving. He didn't even necessarily know where he was going. He was just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And yet, finally, the vision came. And even in the infant stages of the church at the very beginning, you can read this story in the early part of Acts that. All this power is happening. I mean, God's adding to the church. The first day, there's 3,000 added to the church. There's another time, a chapter or two later, 5,000 are added to the church. I mean, the church is exploding. Marvelous things are happening. So they're trying to get some infrastructure to match this growth and what's going on. Miracles are breaking out everywhere and signs and wonders. And so, but right in the middle of all of it, they, I, I personally believe they made a mistake. And, and the mistake I believe, was that everybody brought in their possessions and everybody gave equal share amongst themselves. All right? Everybody gave, that's called communism. Well, later on, later on, that seemed to bite them, that system, because Paul and these guys are having to raise money for those guys in Jerusalem. Well, what happened to all those provision? Communism. It doesn't work. All right? That's just my opinion. So that, that scripture is not there to teach us that we need to do communal living. It's just telling us what they did. All right? Just so some of you might be thinking, what are you talking about? The Bible says. No, no. It's just giving us an account. It's not telling us that's the way we need to live. All right? Amen. Okay. So they brought all their possessions, and everybody was distributing amongst e- e- evenly. And there's some good things about that. Um, but there was this squabbling that arose amongst these widows, all right? And these widows were fighting because they were just, the church was distributing the bread to them, you know, to try to help take care of them. But some of them felt like others were getting favored over them, that some of them were getting more bread than them, all right? Some of them were getting more handouts than they were. Sounds like a country I know I live in. Anyway, they were getting more handouts than them. And so this fighting arose. And so Peter stands up, and I'm going to paraphrase Peter for a moment. Peter stands up and is like, okay, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I, I've got to be praying. I've got to be studying the word. We're trying to get this church going. I don't have time to get in this. I know what we'll do. We're going to pick seven guys, and these guys are going to go deal with this. All right? Now, these guys got to be full of the Holy Spirit and power, because how many of you know you need those two things if you're going to get in the middle of arguing and squabbling widows? All right? You need help. So they raise up these seven guys, and the scripture says that they, they prayed over them, and we'll give them a title even. We'll give them the title of deacon. How about that? Doesn't that sound professional? Doesn't that sound good? And so they, they called them all deacons. He's the first deacons mentioned. And two of the guys of the seven, one's name is Stephen, and the other one's name is Philip. And it's like the book of Acts goes on hold from being the Acts of the Apostles to the Acts of deacons. Because the spotlight comes on two of these seven deacons. If something happened with Stephen and Philip that went way beyond what their initial service was. What's their service? They're here to help 
keep the peace among widows. But the scripture goes on to say that Stephen, that signs and wonders and miracles were done by Stephen's hands, so much so that news is spreading everywhere, and this city, Jerusalem, is rocking because of this one deacon who just started keeping peace by handing out bread evenly. Are you hearing me? Do you think he felt called to hand out bread to squabbling widows? I doubt it. But when he did it, his real call was realized. Philip later became known as Philip the Evangelist because Philip went to this place called Samaria, and when he went there preaching, revival broke out everywhere. I mean, this guy's bringing people into the kingdom by the droves. Later on, known as Philip the Evangelist. First, Philip the deacon to Philip the Evangelist, all because he was willing to do what it took. He was simply willing to serve. That gift that is in you, that is placed there by God, may very well be waiting on you to get on the move, to do something, even if you don't think that you're called to it. Try it. I think that you'll unlock something that you didn't even realize was there. Amen. Well, football season is right upon us, isn't it? All right, how, we're the Cowboy fans here today. Any Cowboy fans? See, Cowboy fans used to be loud 20 years ago. Yeah, Pearl's not here. Bless her heart. But the Cowboys are, I mean, they, they were, they've been known, have, used to be called America's team. I think the Broncos now were voted as America's team. But last I saw. We are the Super Bowl champions, by the way. Just Anyway. Uh, easy, easy over there. But still, even to this day, the Cowboys still sell the most merchandise, more than any other football team. Think about it, 20 years without a Super Bowl, and they are still rocking it. I mean, that says something about this team and its history. Marvelous team. And if you were to ask any football lover, I'm talking about NFL football, if, if any, any, any person who watches the game and knows some things about the game, who's the greatest running back ever to play the game? You're going to hear all kinds of names. All right? You're going to hear names like Barry Sanders. You're going to hear names like Walter Payton. You're going to hear O.J. Simpson. You're going to hear Jim Brown. Um, give me another one. Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith. Now, Emmett Smith is statistically, statistically the best running back to ever play the game. Emmett Smith is not the strongest. He was certainly not the fastest. He was a little slick, though. It's kind of hard to tackle. And he did have a fantastic offensive line. I think I could have run for the Cowboys when they had that <laughs> offensive line. And I don't run very well. I asked Brandon Marshall. But it wasn't just the offensive line, though. Emmett had his own special talent. But to have that kind of longevity to stay in there and to beat all the known greats in the end is really something to be said for that accomplishment. What is it that makes him, that made him great? I think that, now I'm going to speculate some here, but I've been in Cowboy Stadium in the old one and the new one. Um, and you know what? 
that new stadium that the Cowboys built, how many of you have been in the newer, I don't even know, what's it, is it AT&T Stadium? Is, yeah. is that a, Death Star. It's, <laughs> Death Star. <laughs> Jerry World. It'll always be Cowboy Stadium to me. I don't care what sponsorship they put on there. It's Cowboy Stadium. But, and you've seen that Jumbotron, right? That Jumbotron cost them $50 million, all right? Just the Jumbotron, just the TV screen. When they built the original stadium, that stadium cost $30 million to build. <laughs> Times have changed. But in the old stadium, my brother and I took our dad to a Monday night game there to watch Emmett, Aikman, and Irvin get inducted into the Ring of Honor. It was a really cool experience. I mean, they got killed by the Giants that night, but we didn't care. We, it was cool to see them be put in the Ring of Honor. And in, the, in that ring of honor is in the new stadium, and you see all the, the cowboy greats. The great Dallas Cowboys get to be on that ring of honor. You'll see like Don Meredith and Bob Lilly and Roger Staubach and Randy White, all, a, lot of, a lot of great ones there. And you also see Emmett Aikman and Irvin. But before they were there, there was another running back up there, T.D. himself, Tony Dorsett. And you know that Emmett had to, every once in a while, when he's in that backfield, glance up and look at that name, Tony Dorsett, Hall of Famer, and think, where you once were, I am now. Who you once were, I am now. I want you to say this today. Who he was on this earth, I am now. The scripture says, Jesus taught his disciples and said, listen, you've seen great things, but when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit and he's going to come and he's going to live on the inside of you and you're going to do greater things than what you've seen me do. Why? Because the very same spirit, I said the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. So I want to encourage you to look to your hero. Look to your hero, the author and the finisher of your faith, Jesus Christ himself, who overcame all the way to the end and could say with confidence, it is finished. Hallelujah. As he was on this earth, so are you. As a matter of fact, John even says, as he is, so are we in this world. Your gifting, you and your gifting are so needed at this time, right now, in the earth. It's God's vision for you. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. 18. In verse 9, we're coming in for a landing. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night, how? By a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Very rare for Paul to do something like this because Paul was on the go, go, go. He was going from city to city place to place, getting churches established. He would be there for maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, but here God parks him in Corinth there, um, which is the capital city of Achaia. He is parked there for a year and a half. We know of another instance where he was in Ephesus for two years, uh, and then he was in jail a lot. But other than that, Paul was on the move. And um, God's vision for Paul here in this passage was to connect to a community and be planted. That's the third truth I want to get to you today about God's vision for your life, and that is God has a vision for you 
to connect and to be planted. Psalm chapter 92, you hear us say this here a lot. That is, those who are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of our God. In other words, your planting, your being planted in the house of God will affect every area of your life on the outside. Amen. And it will flourish and it will grow. You will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Your leaf also will not wither and whatever you do shall prosper. And the truth is, you'll never really do anything great without being connected. Don't ever try to endeavor to do something for God without being connected, without being planted. We've seen that time and time again. Men come and go and burn out because they are not established, they're not planted. You need a place where you can call your family, a place that you can call home, and it's important to have a home church. Now, I'm talking to you. You're here. You're here. I believe that you believe that. God wants you to be connected with a family, a community of faith where you can be planted and grow strong. And I know sometimes, believe me, I'm the pastor. I know it can feel like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Well, what if you saw your marriage like that? The same wife over and over again. <laughs> Not you. Other guys think that. I don't ever think that. It's the same kids. Right? Being in church, being planted is normal, my family. Now, I understand that we all, you know, God has moves us has moved some of you from time to time. And I believe every move to one cause church is the will of God. That's just my opinion. And uh, it's going to be hard to change my mind on that. But uh, that happens. But God's not going to move you every couple of weeks. He's not going to move you every couple of months. He wants you to be planted. Amen. Or as Joseph Prince says, amen. He has a vision for you to connect, be planted, because you cannot grow unless you're planted. 3,300-year-old bean seeds were discovered in 1922 by a man named Howard Carter who got into King Tut's tomb. And amongst all the, the rich things that he discovered there, was a, amongst them was that bag of bean seeds. And he took those seeds and he planted them. And sure enough, he fertilized them and he watered them, put them in sun, and they sprouted those ancient seeds sprouted, 3,300 years old. The seeds all along those years as they laid under the earth for, for that much time, they had life in them. They just weren't put in the right condition. The right conditions for you to grow and to flourish is found when you're planted and when you get your roots down. Let's go to one last place, Acts chapter 27. I hope you're encouraged today. God has a vision. He has a vision for your life. I love his vision for our lives. It's a good vision. God loves you today. He loves you today, and he is thoroughly on your side. Acts chapter 27, verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, this is an experience 
with Paul, and here's Luke writing about the experience. If you read Acts chapter 27, it's a really cool story uh, because it, Luke gives lots of details to this, this account, even their coordinates and all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, this was so well written, so well documented, that in 2001, an archaeologist, a biblical archaeologist, followed Luke's coordinates and found the anchors that they released from that Alexandrian ship before it crashed. Found the anchors there. And a marvelous thing, because the islanders and their tradition had told them that Paul's shipwreck was at one part, but he kept reading Acts 27 over and over again, and finally it dawned on him. No, Luke's given us the right information. So they, they follow Luke's map, and sure enough, they dive down and they find the anchors. Awesome story, huh? Well, um, so I want to encourage you to read that sometime. It's, so here they are. They've been in this, they've been in this Eurachlodon, or they call it the perfect storm, and they have been here for almost two weeks, and they've just had to let the ship drive itself. It's been storming, raining, waves are beating on them, and this is what it says. There was no small tempest that beat on us, and he says, and finally, we all gave up hope. Now, think about who's on this boat. Paul the Apostle's on this boat. Luke, the physician, is on this boat, and there were others, other great guys on this boat, and guess what? They lost hope. Doesn't that help you today to know that even Paul and these guys lost hope from time to time? Hmm? That we see their humanity. I mean, it was tough. And they're thinking, this is over. But watch this. Now, when neither, uh, the next verse, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. This is all they need to hear right now, right? Because the, it, it is true. Paul did warn them in the beginning of this chapter when they, when they were about to, to set sail. He said, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't have a good feeling about this. But they ignored him because he was a prisoner, for one. And they took off. And now here they've incurred this storm. And so now he says, told you so. Should have listened to me and not have self from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Watch. And now I urge you to take heart. How encouraging is that? Hey, guys, cheer up. Your death is imminent. And now, no, it's not what he says. Now I urge you to take out, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Verse 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And sure enough, 276 men, I believe, are on this ship. And you can read this, this account and and. The ship did uh, um, hit the, the ground, hit the bank, and begin to tear to pieces, but all of them made it to safety. Not one died, not one perished in the shipwreck. It was exactly as God had told Paul to tell them. Why? Well, because God is faithful. But God has a vision for your preservation and for your well-being. You know, it is God's will that you're healed. It is God's will that you are well. It is God's will that you prosper. We see that time and time again in the scriptures. It's one of the things I don't understand that gets denigrated so much by people who don't like health and prosperity. I don't understand that. They denigrate, the, the, they call us, what do they call us? Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Hyper grace. I don't know what all they call us, but either way, I don't care. I just want what God has, and if people don't like it, I don't care. I can't really care about that. I want what He wants to give me, yeah. and He wants you to 
John, John, who knew Jesus more better than anybody on planet earth, wrote, Beloved, I wish above all that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. If, I mean, this is, this is seriously on God's mind because the scripture says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We never see an instance, not one in scripture, not one shred of evidence where Jesus left somebody sick that he encountered, ever. Ever. He healed everybody. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I am the expression of God's will in the earth. It is God's will that people... Now, let me tell you this. That was his will before the new covenant came. Now, if everybody in the old covenant gets healed, and this is called a better covenant established upon better promises, but it's not God's will to heal everybody here, I say let's go back to the old way. But it is his will. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I like Psalm 32. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Jesus said, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what what are we going to wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles or those who don't know God seek For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Let me remind you today that this great God of the universe who created everything that we know, that everything is of him, before him, and in him are all things, and all things consist. This great God is also your Father. That means that we don't have to beg him for anything. Matter of fact, he'd rather you not. He'd actually like you to act like you're his child, not his slave not his employee, that you would actually approach him like he asked you to approach him, to come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, come in here like you own the place, because heaven is your inheritance. Heaven is yours. So you might as well start acting like it's yours while you're living here right now on this earth. I don't think I've ever had my kids ask me if they could open up their refrigerator and eat something out of there, because they know They know it's theirs. They know that I, as their father, am going to provide for them. They don't beg me to provide. Well, let me know. Now that they're adults. They they don't beg me for that kind of stuff because they don't have to. That's my responsibility. That's my job as the father. It is your heavenly father's responsibility. It is his job to take care of you. You don't have to try to beg him to look your way. All right? He's He's never neglectful. He's looking out for you. And Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He sent his word, and he healed you, and he delivered you from your destruction. Thank you, Lord, for that. It is his vision for you, for your preservation and for your well-being. I mean, the very fact that you are a new creation right now is proof of that. The body just has to catch up with that experience, and it will soon enough. God has a vision for you for a new beginning. God has a vision in this world of the need for you and your gifts. God has a vision for you to connect and to be planted. And God has a vision for your preservation and well-being. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. For this great day, this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice 
and we will be glad in it. Thank you, Lord, that your message always brings us hope. There's always hope with you because we are a new creation. There's always hope for renewal, always hope for a new beginning. Hallelujah. Lord, always hope and, 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 and faith, Lord, that, we, that you bless us with health. We, you are concerned about us, our preservation and our well-being, Lord, that you want us to be connected, Lord, to a family, connected to a community of faith, the house of God, Lord, so that and to be planted there, God, so that we can grow. Lord, we thank you that we understand just how important that we are in this world at this time because you purposed us to be here. And you put us here, Lord, because knowing that others would need us. And you put gifts in us knowing that others would need the gifts that you've put in us. Lord, help us to to see it that way. Help us to see things as you see them, to have your kind of vision, Lord, for our own lives and for our place in this world. You've called us as lights in this world. You called this, our church, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. You called us salt in the salt of the earth, Lord, which means that we affect whatever environment we are in, Lord. We change the flavor of it, God. Affect it. Lord, thank you that you've made us powerful in the earth, and the earth is groaning and, 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 and laboring for the revealing of the sons of God on the earth. Help us, Lord, to always respond to that call, to be willing to do anything. You said, your word says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mind. You reward those. You reward all of us. You're our rewarder, Lord. Not, we're not doing these things for men. We're doing these things for you. And we love you because you first loved us. Thank you that you died for our sins. Thank you that you were buried and thank you that you rose again the third day. Thank you that you did everything necessary, Jesus, for us to have life and life abundantly, to have eternal life, to have a relationship with God Almighty. Thank you. Thank you for not only did you pronounce the judgment for our sin, but you carried out the sentence yourself and exonerated us and justified us, saved us from our sins. Thank you for that. Thank you that today we are free, holy, just, blameless before our God. That way we will have boldness in the day of judgment because perfect love has been perfected among us in this. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for all these that are here today, especially those, Lord, who may feel like They're in a moment, Lord, that they just can't get out of. And they've been in this thing for a long time. And Lord, they need a new start. They need a new beginning. And I thank you right now for renewal for them, a fresh start. Lord, I thank you that you are doing a new thing even now. That they would not lose heart. But Lord, they would hold on to hope. They would be encouraged even in this moment. Your word says you have need of endurance. Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance. After you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. Thank you, Lord. So we believe your word. We believe you. You make promises and you keep those promises. So we look to you today, our hero, our great God, and we thank you, Lord, for being a very present help in time of need. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.